Hello and welcome to Cinemaholics, where we review the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. One of us is a film critic, one is a casual moviegoer. Third person is me, your host, John Negroni from the Internet California. On the show today, we have from the Internet Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He's also a resident film critic. He writes film reviews for the playlist, Gunpowder Film, and many more. It's Will Ashen. Hello. And from the Rod Band Basement, he is our sound producer and casual moviegoer, but don't call him an everyman. He is our sound producer and sound master, Maverick Hines. What's up, everybody? All right. This week, we are talking about First Man. Uh, we were going to talk about Bad Times at the El Royale. However, Will Ashton has a lot to do today. Uh, our scheduling is a little tight, so we're actually going to save Bad Times for the El Royale next week because we feel like the conversation <laughs> deserves more than five minutes. Um, but we are going to talk about First Man uh, later in the show. And then for mini reviews, we've got some uh, like quite a few things. Maverick is going to be running mini reviews this week. So. First time ever. Mark your calendars. Yeah, most of it is either. So that's going to be fun. Uh, real quick, let's get into our off topics before our featured review. Uh, first of all, we want to thank our patrons, as always, for voting in our poll to help decide this week's episode. You voted for First Man to be our featured review over Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, patrons, you are right in line with the box office because, I mean, both films did not do super well, correct? Well, Ashley, but I think First Man did better than Bad Times. Yeah, I think First Man did okay, but just did uh, less than they were expecting. Because I guess with the high prestige that's going around the film, they were mm-hmm. expecting a bigger showing than they ultimately got. Yeah, I think Stars Born is still eating their receipts. Uh, last I checked, they were looking at like 16 million for the weekend, and you know they obviously they wanted like 30 for this movie. Uh, definitely not happening this week. But I think First Man might have some legs. We'll see what happens next week. But with uh, I guess we have some Halloween stuff coming out, and you know it's it's a busy October, but. If you want to become a patron of Cinemaholics, you can. You can vote in our uh, weekly content poll. And special thank you to our newest patron, Marty, for donating this week. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, Real quick, uh, our happy hour bonus episode that came out this past week is Pixar in Decline is out right now. That was a fun conversation I had with TJ Wolsis. And uh, uh, it's out right now. And uh, man, that, that was... It was like an hour and a half of just me and another Pixar fanatic talking about Pixar. So if that is your thing, uh, that's right now. That's live right now on our Cinemaholics feed. Uh, and Will Ashton, uh, I think our next thing is we're going to be talking about The Hateful Eight. Have you had a chance to see it yet? Because I have not. Uh, not a rewatch. No, I've just I mean, I mentioned last week I've seen it twice already, but that was back when it came out. So mm-hmm. uh, I haven't gotten a chance to revisit it yet. No. Yeah, Maverick. We have to watch The Hateful Eight together. And I am then... I am never against watching The Hateful Eight. I think <laughs> I've seen it four times since it came out. Right. Okay, yeah. So we got to see it again for uh, for our patron who requested it. And then also, we got to watch Mandy because I literally own it and we still haven't yeah, watched it. Yeah, that one is definitely on the list. The one movie that Will Ashen has given an A this year, we're just sleeping on it. So, apologies. Hey, last time this happened, it was Briggsy Bear. And then we both watched it. And we were like, whoa! Like, it blew our minds. Yeah, so. maybe this will be the Cinemaholics uh, movie of the year. Who knows? Uh, but okay, that's it for off topics. Let's just dive right into our feature review. I'm very excited to talk about First Man, mainly because I really want to disagree with Will Ashton on this one, but we'll see what happens. Don't be mean to him, though, because we'll get commenters. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't want to be mean. Um, I don't want to be mean in general because, you know, it's been a, it's been a good weekend. All right. So First Man is a wide release from Universal's written and directed by one of my personal favorite filmmakers working right now, Damien Chazelle. He directed Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, uh, but he's best known for his last two features, which were Oscar hits, uh, Whiplash and La La Land. Uh, This new movie uh, probably will have some of that same Oscar prestige. Uh, The screenplay is by Josh Singer. He did Spotlight in the Post, and uh, it's based on an earlier screenplay by Nicole Perlin, and it's adapted from James Hansen's book, First Man, the Life of Neil Armstrong, which is interesting because Neil Armstrong is somebody who, you know, first man to walk on the moon, hence what this movie is about. Uh, But a very, very private person. Uh, It was very difficult for a book to be made in the first place. Uh, So it is very interesting to see a movie come out of that because a book, it's hard enough to capture who a person is when they really don't show a willingness to share a lot about themselves, maybe out of modesty, maybe out of just the mystique of Neil Armstrong. Uh, So this movie is a very interesting experiment. Uh, obviously, the film, if you haven't heard already, it's been getting incredibly good reviews at Venice Festival, Telluride, and Toronto. 
and uh, it's probably a sure thing for picking up some Oscars, uh, at least nominations. Uh, as I mentioned before, it is an intimate look at the life of astronaut Neil Armstrong uh, during the 1960s. We meet him very early in his career. And then finally, on that fateful Apollo 11 mission, uh, Ryan Gosling stars as Armstrong. And the full cast includes Claire Foy, who plays his wife, Janet, uh, as well as Paula Schreiber, Kyle Chandler, Sierra Hines, Ethan Embry, who I don't even know if Ethan Embry says anything, but he is in the background. Uh, Jason Clark has a huge role in this. Uh, Brian Darcy James, Corey Stoll, Christopher Abbott, Patrick Fugit, Shea Wiggum, and Lucas Haas. This is a packed cast. I mean, there were just people in the background of this movie that I was like, oh my gosh, that's that person from that show. Yeah. It's quite like, the cast for sure. Yeah, and they're just there having fun. Apparently, uh, Damien Chazelle has a pretty wicked uh, Rolodex. Rolodex. Oh, damn. You got there it. It is. All right. Uh, Will Ashton, uh, did you see this one in IMAX? And uh, what did you think of First Man overall? Uh, this is a two and a half hour movie. I'm curious. Yeah, I didn't see it in IMAX. My screening was just a regular theatrical presentation. So uh, I didn't get that experience, but I heard it's very much worthwhile seeing it that way, especially. Um, the stuff at the end on the moon. Uh, no spoilers, I guess, but I, I kind of yeah, figured that. Whoa. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you were mentioning the like really good reviews and I can certainly see why this movie has gotten such, um, uh, such a good critical response. Cause there's not really much I can complain about from a critical standpoint. Like everything about it is well executed. It's well made from a technical standpoint. I'm sure it's going to get, a lot of like sound design combinations and things of that nature, including, Maverick you know, disagrees. probably best director he, and whatnot. Yeah. Maverick uh, disagrees and I, says that the sound mixing was, was not good for him. I think that was a the theater we went to because that was the same theater that we went to for Blade Runner 2049. And I had the same complaint then. It wasn't the same theater. I mean, but it's the same. Okay, well, maybe I, 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 I am, um, maybe I misspoke. I mean, maybe I don't know about the mixing per se, but I think the sound design was very good strong. I actually, I well, say, I, I agree apologize. with that. So, Maverick and I don't. Uh, agree, yeah. So, so you, you just don't think the sound was good in general, Maverick? No, I have to clarify. I didn't. I, I think the sounds were great. You know, all that stuff. I, I just had a hard time hearing people talk over the sounds going on at times. Like it felt like it was kind of muddled at times, which I don't agree with. But okay. yeah, yeah, so that that's. I think that's sound mixing because sound design is like like the foley work and like the things that, like what yeah, yeah. everything sounds. He said like. sound mixing when we were talking about it. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Just making sure. So yeah, I mean, from everything. As far as the how the movie was put together, I don't have too many complaints from a technical standpoint, but I guess kind of similar to Dunkirk, which is a comparison has been made already, but it's basically how I felt. I, I didn't really feel that emotionally connected to the character, and I get that you know, Armstrong is a reserved person. I think they handled that well. Uh, the moments where it is fairly emotional, I think, are well-earned, and I am disappointed that there's a moment on the moon where it could have been a really natural, poetic ending, and I felt they kind of kept going like an epilogue scene where it's like, okay, like I, I guess we can keep doing this, but it, it, it kind of strained the uh, moment I felt, but ultimately, yeah, I, I, I like the film. It's definitely a good one. It's going to win a bunch of awards and whatnot, but especially compared to Damien Chazelle's last couple films, uh, especially, you know, whiplash, I consider among the best movies of this past decade i think it's a masterpiece through and through and la la land i really do love despite the backlash against it I, this movie I, I liked it it's good but i just found myself kind of underwhelmed by the end yeah i i have to disagree quite a bit yeah uh sure. i actually think yeah yeah and i think this might come down to like our disagreements on dunkirk maybe um i, I think this movie i i'm glad you brought up how it compares to Whiplash and La La Land, two movies that I love, but in completely different ways. And I think First Man scratches a third itch for me, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but that, that is interesting. We, we definitely agree on on the technical aspects. This is a, a long movie, and you spend a lot of time watching one person really not react to his environment, who has trouble expressing his emotions. Um, uh, we, we can get into it, but uh, I would just say that I, I did I did connect with that that emotional you know, through line in this film, but I am seeing a lot of people who aren't. Uh, it's a film that's kind of leaving people cold. Uh, and I'm very curious about that. I'm curious about like why it had an effect on me personally. Um, 
And I've been thinking through that. I, I don't think it's one of those like, well, he's an introvert and I connect with introverts because I think a lot of introverts are probably having the same same complaint. But there, there is something about this performance here that uh, I do think that Ryan Gosling will get an Oscar nomination for what sure, he's doing yeah. here. And I, I couldn't, I, I definitely can't say that uh, there's something wrong with the performance or something wrong even with the writing. I wonder if a lot of it has to do with this kind of like feeling of, do we want to feel good about America right now? Uh, maybe there's some sort of like this movie, the time it's being made in, maybe there's something to, uh, you know, our current climate as it were, that is kind of preventing people from feeling good about an event that happened so many years ago with so many, you know, with people who, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's something to that. It, it's kind of like with the post last year, the post was kind of this like, you know, victory lap of nostalgia that I don't think people were in the mood for. And I think First Man maybe is is also seeing a little bit of a division there. Uh, what about you, Maverick Hines? Uh, you know, did this movie have an effect on you? And uh, how so? Yeah, I think I think I'm right in between you guys because you know you guys aren't that far off in your opinions overall. Um, like like you alluded to, I I did have some issues with the sound at times, but again, I I think I have to give that kind of an asterisk because that might just be the theater we go to because the last two IMAX movies I've seen there have complained about the sound, which I think is supposed to not be a thing you complain about in IMAX so I think it just might be the an unlucky situation for me um otherwise I I I think Will said it well yeah it's technically a really really well-made movie it's really good I I, you know in hopes that I don't sound too much like an idiot I I felt at times that it was a little too slow during the movie I you know maybe it's just I don't have the attention span of most smart people I don't know what's going on here but there were times where I was like all right like Let's move on a little bit. And I think that does have a lot to do with, you know, Neil Armstrong's character of being so reserved that there wasn't enough to capture my squirrel, you know, <laughs> mental focus of of what's going to happen next. Because so many times we're just kind of very, you know, stoic, relaxing, not relaxing, but like kind of yeah. mild moments. And if I can interject, I would please, say I don't think it's a smarts thing. I think that drag is there if the immersion doesn't work on you. Um, yeah. Because I had the opposite effect, but I don't think it was smarts. I think it was just, I was fully immersed. And I think that's where the technical aspects shine. For sure. Um, because every scene was a painting and I had to like absorb it. It was a lot like Blade Runner yeah. 2049 where I had to adore it visually and it kept me going. Well, Blade, I, I never felt that during Blade Runner though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. it's just maybe a genre thing too. But also I just think that me not being, you know, a little, still a little sin of sober maybe it wasn't as captivated by the you know the the technical spots between those scenes that would have kept me going or you know like you said everything was a yeah like my mind you. was racing yeah trying to figure out how they shot certain things and why I the guess, vantage points were in yeah so places. i didn't i guess i wasn't having those thoughts and those probably would have kept me kind of in that immersion what were you going to say well well i was going to say i mean I guess for me, maybe my problem was that, like, I, I really found the stuff inside, like, the shuttle when, like, it's, like, first person, like, getting, like, really claustrophobic like that. I found that very good. But, like, they also shot, like, a lot of the movie, like, that style. And I, I don't know. I, I heard people complain about that with The Star is Born. It didn't really bother me then. But this time, like, the extreme close-up, like, cinematography and stuff really kind of bugged me. It I just really didn't... loved it. Oh, I loved it. I don't it. know. It, it, it felt, like, too, like... I don't know. Like it felt too contained to the point where it's like I I wanted more breathing room like in those scenes. See, I wanted that's to, what like, I liked though. I liked. I wanted a separation between the two, but like maybe it's like the movie went on. It got more claustrophobic, but like it started from the beginning like super like wound up and tight, and like, there was no like real diversion between those scenes. So for me, it just kind of felt like, oh, it's just like that wound up style like through the whole thing. If there was like more of a, like, a break, and there was at the end with the space stuff, which I found really affecting, but. Ultimately, I guess there, I think there need to be more of that to really uh, captivate me personally. I, I remember exact scenes and the staging that they did, which is very rare for me to have like really followed the director's vision on that. And I have to completely disagree. I think that the extreme close-ups and the way that it's shot, especially in the scenes in the home, were so captivating to me because they you really got the sense that he was that it was like a super eight recording, you know, a little bit shaky, a little bit like really that sixties feel yeah, and it did so much to get me in there and I, it even the extreme close-ups the kind of like shoddy you know like blurring effects were I, I maybe it's something about that decade that I really connect to you guys know I love Mad Men mm-hmm. I was thinking a lot about contextual stuff in Mad Men and like the way that people took home video even the way that you know the casual observer was like a vantage point 
that was like often used. There was something about that. Maybe it's uh, it's hitting me on that level, and so I'm definitely overlooking uh, maybe some of the lack of diversion. Although I, I I don't think I can see that that lack of diversion. But yeah, um, I don't. I I think I'm a little closer to John on that one. I I wasn't bothered by the claustrophobic shots and the tight shots because I think for me those were the best in the movie, and those were when I was most like. I was the most immersed and, and suspenseful. It was for me. It was the in between shots, like like when he was at home, or when they were kind of talking throughout the NASA facility, where I was just like, "Man, I feel like this is dragging just a little bit," but not all the time. Like I don't want to make no, it sound I, like I'm being super negative. That's what I'm basically saying. Like yeah. I think, like I think if there's like a little like more of a break and stuff, like I get like from an editing standpoint why it's made the way it is, but I just felt like to get that full like immersive emotional investment I, I felt like it was kind of lacking in that regard for me personally for sure and then uh the last thing i guess i'll say about it is that um you know though i do have those kind of minor complaints again i have to reiterate i think this was a really really good movie and i had a good time with it and i will say that the moments that were meant to be suspenseful and the moments that were kind of intense were probably some of the most captivating i've experienced this year in a movie like i was like biting my nails literally i was just like wow this, like i was in those moments very very deeply and they were they were intense so i really enjoyed that i was able to in a movie where i did feel bored at sometimes it always brought me back which is good right like it wasn't like i was in the movie for 20 minutes i lost it and then i was just out for two hours you know what i mean so i was glad yeah. to be able to go through those cycles and come back into the movies after having those moments i do wonder if seeing a film in imax has a bit of a, a curve to it which might not be a good thing um because we both saw it in that and i that was where i mean the filmmaking shines so much for me it's it's possible that i really because uh, you know following the life of this guy who you know you just want him to say something you just want him to react <laughs> you like, just dude talk <laughs> his wife does all the reacting for him and i mean claire foy is just putting her best out there and this is somebody who, and I was kind of arguing with somebody about this on Twitter yesterday about, you know, they were like, I want to know more about him. Why is he an astronaut? Why does he do this? Why, why don't we? And I'm like, that's not the story. Like if they had tried to like, you know, here's Neil Armstrong as a kid. And if they had tried to pretend a life for him, I think it would have, I would think it would have rung so false. Mm -hmm. He's such a contained person. And I think they found a really good, like there was one thing somebody complained. It was like his motivations, you know, very, very early on, he loses uh, his daughter. It's like the first scene. And, you know, somebody was like, that's, that's his only motivation for the whole movie and all this stuff. And I was like, what? Because, you know, this is somebody who it's like loss compounding upon loss and just bringing on that burden. And, you know, that story that is being told of a guy who's like impeccably modest dealing with loss, uh, there, there was something very classic American. Mm -hmm. um, and again, if somebody's not in the mood for that, I can understand. But it, I wasn't even in the mood for that. But I think that's where the filmmaking and, you know, just the capturing of this event yeah. sucked me in so much that I, I couldn't look away. I thought that was actually like there's one scene like close uh, towards the beginning where like it's right after what you're talking about happened and like the shot is like it just him at a desk and it's like far away and then we kind of move in and see like this very intimate reaction shot and what you're talking about I think that's where it's really effective I just kind of wish there was like more of like that break like if there was like a little bit like back and forth if we had that I, I think that would have made the movie more affecting for me but I yeah. agree with everything you're saying so. It's such a different movie from La La Land and Whiplash. I mean, what do we think of Damien Chazelle at this point as a director? I mean, you know, it just feels like he's trying not to get typecast into, he didn't want to get typecast into like, you know, music movies. And then he didn't want to get typecast into musicals, I guess. Yeah, because there is like this whole thing where people keep calling this movie space jazz in a fairly dismiss dismissive uh, derogatory type of way, which it's this movie is not. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's, that's annoying and petty, but... Justin Horowitz did do the music for this, uh, like he did for La Land, and yeah. once again, and, the uh, Tom soundtrack Cross. is amazing. I think Tom Cross also did the editing. He did; uh, he was the editor on both Whiplash and La La Land as it's, well. It's so funny too to see this movie after Venom because Venom was so poorly edited, <laughs> and then you see what like a masterclass in editing is like. Yeah, yeah we have to give a lot of props to that post production team. Um, Giselle surrounds himself with yeah, very and, good people and producers. And that's not let's not gloss over what you said a second ago. The soundtrack for this was incredible. It, yes. it was absolutely um, perfect. Yeah, Justin Hurwitz puts out. I mean, once again, like this is a soundtrack that I was adding songs to my playlist, which is already packed with Lala Land and Whiplash. Uh, cinematography here, Linus Sandgren. Um, you, you know, 
obviously did an amazing job with La La Land. Uh, I don't think he also did Whiplash. I may be incorrect about that. Um, <clears throat> I think his first thing with Damien Chazelle was La La Land. And uh, it, it's this, there's something about the way that uh, his cinematography really affects me, like the way it captures, uh, we've said a lot, but nostalgia. He also did Battle of the Sexes. And uh, the way that he does like the super yeah. 35 millimeter. I was going to say like all these like very film type movies, like film, like yeah. literal film. Which is so interesting uh, to see him kind of play with 16 millimeter in this film. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting, especially because like he shot it in the IMAX uh, ra- uh, ratio. So yeah, I, I definitely dug it. Looking forward to uh, Nutcracker in the Four Realms, I think is his next film. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe he was a cinematographer on that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, let's wrap up with our final thoughts on First Man. I think... I think we all we all have uh, only slightly different opinions, and we we all seem pretty confident in our opinions. Like not a lot of uh, not of like hesitation. Like I feel like this is the kind of movie where you can kind of make your mind up on it, um, one way or the other. Um, I'm glad to see here that it's all fairly positive. So, Maverick Hines, uh, why don't you start us out? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much more there is to add as far as as far as final thoughts go but i think it's definitely a, a movie worth seeing and if you can see it in kind of a special screen whether it be dolby or imax or whatever i think it's worth looking at hopefully your imax screen's a little bit better than ours is but uh yeah it's it's or dolby if it's available yeah i was just gonna say this movie should have been in dolby like can you imagine those final scenes yeah. in that Dol- man that would have been great um really good movie with an amazing soundtrack and some pretty suspenseful and captivating moments it was it was great I, i'm really really stuck between a b plus and an a minus and i don't know like where i'm at with that i think i'm gonna lean a minus though all right strong a minus from maverick Hines. this is in my top 10 uh which means it is an a minus for me uh the minus and i didn't really get into my my flaws or anything like that i think you can nitpick a lot with this one um i i think the only thing that kind of left me hanging there overall on this what and what kind of limits it is I, I don't think they quite stuck the landing, uh, no pun intended, uh, with with some of the ways that they dealt with Neil Armstrong and the camaraderie between him and his fellow astronauts. They didn't quite sell the relationship in ways, especially with him and uh, his wife. I think just in general, his relationships, uh, and I think Will, you've you've kind of alluded to this a bit too. And, and I don't I don't fully dismiss, or I don't even dismiss a lot of those criticisms. I think. There is something to the final shot of the film not feeling quite earned to me, um, which is all I'm trying to say. And th- there was something that I was like, there's something more to this that they left off. It's actually kind of funny because you, were, you said the epilogue. It's like it kept going and going. I actually wanted either something different or something else to finish out. But uh, well, again, yeah. it's a very high A minus. This might actually be in my top five of the year. Um, so I, I definitely really enjoy it. And then, yeah, Will Ashen closes out. Yeah, I mean, you were saying that we everyone here kind of knows their opinions. I was actually kind of scratching my head throughout the week trying to figure out where, exactly where I land on it. Oh, interesting. And, Sorry, I misspoke. No, no, you're okay. I just wanted you to speak for my confident. <laughs> no, it's actually, I don't know. I mean, like, but the thing is that I didn't really, like, I thought I was going to be reflecting on this movie more. But truth be told, like, after I saw it, I haven't really thought about it too, too much. Just more like trying to figure out why it didn't, like, hit me quite as hard as it hit you. And a lot of other critics. And I mean, I don't know. I guess for me, like with La La Land and Whiplash, and I haven't seen his first film, but uh, with the two that I have seen other than First Man, it just feels like they are very personal, passionate films. And that's not to say that this movie isn't personal. I mean, I don't really know Damien Chazelle as a person, so I can't say. But it just didn't feel quite as uh, mostly rich as those movies. I get that it's going for something different. And I applaud Damien Chazelle for being versatile and trying to push himself and his fellow filmmakers to do something that's a little out of their wheelhouse. And I'm really excited to see where he goes as a filmmaker. Cause I think mm-hmm. he's got long legs and he's going to be, you know, definitely one of our most uh, prestigious talents. And I think he has a great career ahead of him, but as it stands, I did like the film. I, I like you said, I mean, there's really not much besides a couple of nitpicks that I can complain about, but I do agree with you that I think maybe it was just the relationship between Gosling and Claire Foy that didn't really strike me. Cause like I saw someone on Twitter describe it i apologize for not knowing the person by name off the top of my head but it was just like claire foy plays a certain type of uh oscar movie character and that's she's the only woman in the movie and she's concerned (laughs) which is like just how i felt yeah 
which is like just how I felt like I, I mean Claire Foy did a great job I think she her performance is very good I'm sure she's gonna get nominated and they'll play that one clip where she's yelling at Kyle Chandler for the Oscar reel but um as it stands I just yeah like you said like that ending if it maybe if I felt more for their relationship then I would have really resonated with this they, this film really would have resonated for me but as it stands I just felt like it, it's very well done and I certainly can see why it's going to be a top 10 contender for a lot of people and why it's going to get a best picture nomination and compete with a star is born but yeah especially compared to a star is born it just didn't really hit me in the heart quite as much so i'm going to give it a firm b plus i mean it's really going to be a good film i'm sure like apollo 13 and the right stuff it's going to be played in like high schools and stuff to teach you about space exploration all that stuff and it's well deserved in that regard i think mm-hmm. the technical stuff is all fantastic but I just wish I had a more emotional investment to the film personally. It is interesting. They don't really dive into what the science means. It's more about how people react to it. Uh, We didn't really mention that. Uh, A few things before we move on that we didn't mention. Um, Yeah, I think that the gender dynamics at play here are quite, uh, you know, noticeable. And yeah, I think we were missing something. We were missing an establishing moment between the husband and wife that kind of explained who they are, why they are. And then also, you know, there were some like loose threads I forgot to mention that kind of also held me back with this. With like, they play the poem, like Whitey on the Moon, um, you know, very famous speech about, you know, how the space program spent so much money. And, you know, while people were, especially people of color, were disenfranchised and, you know, feeling like, you know, the government was, you know, so obsessed with putting a white man on the moon that they didn't pay attention. And, you know, so Giselle puts that in there and it, you know, it, it kind of captures the the mood, but it presents it almost as like an obstacle for these like heroic characters. That kind of kind of fits into my overall point of like how man, it really is hard to get on this film's wavelength at times uh, for that reason. So that might be a stumbling block for some people. Um, it is very funny that uh, initially this one was like being looked at as like those you know alt right losers who were like oh you know the flag you know doesn't drape around the entire moon like yeah. a christmas present at least two shots of the american flag in this movie <laughs> yes this film has and no trouble being me, patriotic yeah and what bugs me is that i know that somebody like on fox news or whatever is gonna like say that um oh they put that in after the criticism like those are post-production <laughs> this is like yet. the faked moon you know what landing, i mean like they're gonna but like, for po- politics that's funny. <laughs> like they, they're gonna that's a win that the flag is in the movie because like they spoke loud enough and i'm sure it was already in the movie to begin with mm-hmm. and that well, there was shot. just like yeah, yeah. that's what i mean so anyway sorry that's just me rambling yeah yeah i doubt i doubt it's a uh, good brand we'll never apologize and no one's gonna care and uh, whatever oh, and most people don't even know about this about the flag being in the movie like neil armstrong's kids had to speak out about it mm-hmm. so i don't know whatever all right well that'll do it for our review of first man uh we all definitely liked it i think it's a pretty solid recommend um one of my favorites and uh i think i think most people will watch it and it's it's a long movie but if you're you're in the mood to see it just an impeccably made film um you should have a pretty decent experience all right with that will ashton i think you have to run but thank you for sticking with us uh so late uh we'll see you next time all right see you man have a good one bye will all right, let's get into our mini reviews. Uh, Maverick, I saw a few things this week, uh, but I think you kind of saw more than I did. Um, <laughs> first time ever, Cinemaholics first. Yeah, well, I've been very busy. A lot of, lot of stuff. Well, these are, and these are also from two weeks ago, so, oh, so <laughs> I've, just, I've just been saving up. <laughs> uh, what do you want to start with? Uh, I know uh, there was one thing you saw with uh, Jeffrey Wright in it that I really wanted to see on Netflix, right? Yes, uh, Hold the Dark, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we could start there. Uh, Hold the Dark is a new uh, Netflix original. Uh, Synopsis is summoned to a remote Alaskan village and search for the wolves that killed three children. A wolf expert soon finds himself unraveling a harrowing mystery. So that's why it's being compared to The Grey with Liam Neeson. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, the reason I was so... Because I I sent John the trailer for this movie um, a couple months ago, and I was like, wow, this looks like it could actually be pretty decent. It looks, you know, it's looking cool. Had some very Wind River, the gray vibes to it. Is that what it's called? Wind River? Am I? Yeah. 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 yeah to, to you shoe. know, just kind of the Alaskan guy goes in there with a gun. Let's see what happens kind of stuff with wolves. Um, yeah. And we should say Jeremy Saline is like a really great film director. Uh, he did uh, Green Room, uh, one of my favorite movies of 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also did Blue Ruin, which uh, I liked Blue Ruin. I know a lot of people love that film. So, uh, but yeah, not exactly 
my favorites. So I, I've been looking forward to this one, but I don't know. Is it worth it? Like, I, I don't know if you've seen those movies. Did you see Green Room? I haven't seen either. I recommend so. it. I think you would like it a lot. And it's, uh, he, he definitely, I have a feeling because wolves are involved, it's kind of, yeah, going to be that kind of like gritty, like who knows what's going to happen to these characters kind of movie. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of went in with that expectation of, oh, this is going to be like the gray, right? I mean, like the dude's going in there to find a lost kid or mm-hmm. find the wolves who killed a kid you know so it's like okay this is pretty cut and dry but i was still excited like i wasn't worried about it being too close to the gray or have too many you know because this deals a lot with um native american treatment in alaskan you know villages and uh, tribes and stuff like that so i was like okay you know wind river i'm getting all these vibes i'm really excited and i'll say this is a very different movie than both of those you know the first maybe 20 25 minutes is what you expect and then the movie goes down a completely different road this is a very unique weird thriller horror movie that that turns south quick um i i will say that though i enjoyed it because it's very much a maverick genre right like this has all the things that that i would want it's a little hard to follow at times and after reading i I, one thing i love to do when i watch a movie for the first time is i like to like google the movie afterwards and reads director interviews and talk, you know, like hear the director explain the endings and stuff like that. So when I did that with this one, there was a lot there that, and I don't, I won't give anything away, but the director talked about like, Oh, if you watch the movie again, or if you watch this, you'll pick up that this is what's happening here. And this is what's happening here. And I felt like it could be a sin of sober symptom, but a lot of cheating maybe. Well, no, it's just like, I felt like, he kind of had to say that stuff because those answers weren't as obvious as I think maybe the the director. Oh, directors do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Filling in the blanks for people and sort of like, this was our vision and the studio hacked it. Oh yeah. You could totally figure out that these two people were this and this was this. Like when Bojack is like, was the coffee cup there because perspective is (laughs) (laughs) no dude. So we do left a coffee, just left a coffee cup. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I feel like if I didn't go through and read those that I would still be scratching my head a lot on this Mm. movie because, it just doesn't do a good job of explaining the lore of this weird little world that it's created. Um, but I will say visually and, you know, uh, visually it was really, really stunning movie. You know, it's hard not to make the Alaska wilderness look incredible in the winter. Right. I mean, it, it looks incredible. It has some very thrilling and cool spooky moments and you know stuff like that and i do think it's worth a watch if you're into that kind of style you know if you like a good thriller you like a good spooky movie but also you're into that kind of gray wind river vibe it's definitely still worth looking at it's just not what you're gonna expect you know what i mean so maybe that's a good thing for some people for me i didn't necessarily love it i it's still a recommend for me but it's one of those recommends where like i have to kind of know the person be like yeah i think you would like Mm. this you know what i mean i'm gonna guess your grade is either b or b minus yeah yeah that's that's a b for sure Uh, oh no sorry b minus it is minus yeah it is a b minus just because i think it goes just a little too far at times away from what you're expecting and i think it doesn't explain that well enough to validate going that far out of of right Right. field so So you would recommend it but not to most people yeah again i have to be like oh i know you like this kind of stuff yeah go watch mm-hmm. it right but like if someone's like oh hey i really like the gray but i don't like a horror movie i'd be like maybe don't you know yeah. what i mean stuff like that so i'm curious what will thought because it's written by macon blair who directed that other netflix movie i don't feel at home in this world anymore he really which, liked that yeah, yeah. Will really liked that film and so uh unfortunately he couldn't stay for this i know he saw it so i mean we're gonna have to ask him sometime yeah we can bring thought. him on next week maybe him and i can talk about it but yeah i, I still think again i think john you, you'll probably get something from it it'd be a fun movie for cinephiles to kind of pick apart yeah i should have seen it over 22 july <laughs> honestly yeah do you want to talk about that next or you want me to knock out another one before you go um i i'll quickly cover it okay. uh, oh my goodness yeah we are this is sort of like the netflix power hour right now um, that's all i watch from any reviews <laughs> yeah the only thing i have that isn't netflix related and we'll talk about um is assassin's creed odyssey which i just kind of want to bring up but yeah 22 july is um it's from Paul Greengrass. Uh, how many of the board movies have you seen, Mav? Uh, exactly zero. Um, oh, good. <laughs> well, he did. Um, he did Supremacy. I think he did Ultimatum. And then he did like the most recent one, which was terrible. Uh, this film, fortunately, is uh, not terrible. It is actually a pretty decent film. It's uh, based in Norway. Uh, it's not technically norwegian though but it's based on a summer camp massacre that took place in 2011 which is interesting because it's historical but i 
didn't know the story, uh, which I think is uh, it's very interesting that Greengrass made this film. Um, he depicts the events using fictional characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't want to get into the specifics of this massacre because it is one of those things, watching it unfold is part of the appeal, not appeal, but like it's part of like what makes the movie the movie. Absolutely. Um, there, there's a, a scene where they find out like the details of what actually happened and it's it just kind of leaves you uh, kind of just sitting there trying to wrap it. Wow. Um, and then there was another film that, uh, this is like a kind of an American remake of this film, um, because it was made in Norway at one point. And then, um, and then, and then Paul Greengrass made this and it's the same kind of deal, but the characters are speaking English, uh, which I think it works because all the characters, uh, are all the actors are Norwegian, which uh, I did appreciate that aspect of it. Um, all of that said, uh, you know, it, it's a movie that follows the story of you see the massacre take place, uh, you see the, the methodical you know nature of it, what actually happened, why it happened, and you know it, it's perpetrated by this uh, neo-Nazi. And then you watch the aftermath. Uh, it sort of becomes a courtroom drama from there. Mm. Um, he hires a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, a lawyer who's kind of sympathetic to neo-Nazis, and then you see this battle between him and, and Norway, basically the prime minister. You see. Uh, the students who survived kind of grappling with this and it is a brutal movie. Yeah. Um, it is like, tw- it is a long amount of time that you spend dwelling in the pain of these students, which at the one point is like, and on the one hand, it's, it's just grueling because you feel as helpless as they are. Uh, I felt my pulse, my heart rate going up quite a bit during this and it, it was kind of freaking me out. Like I had a hard time, you know, coping with it. There are things that you see on screen that are really traumatic. I, I really, yeah, you had mentioned it when we were talking about it midweek yeah. that it was, it was pretty rough to watch at times. I highly caution people from seeking this one out, honestly, especially if you, if you have difficulty with that. Uh, I don't think this is a film that uh, is worth the pain that you get out of it. Uh, of course, I mean, it's not a bad film. It's it's certainly well acted. It's certainly well shot. Everything on display here is competent. There wasn't anything about it that kind of struck me or stood out aside from, uh, you know, really those, I don't want to say showy scenes, but those really methodical, you know, pulse rate, pulse uh, pounding scenes. Uh, and ultimately, I mean, this one, this one kind of fell flat for me. It is far too long. Uh, I think that, it is the kind of movie that almost just it doesn't have a point of view on what it's trying to say about really most of these characters with the exception of two of the victims um so i don't know i i'm still kind of wrapping my head around it uh, i think that the the technical competency of it is kind of messed up by the fact that it is far too long and it loses that steam uh really really early so i'm kind of a c plus on it uh, it's a Netflix film again. So, you know, I don't know who to recommend this to, honestly. Mm. I, I don't think that there's anybody here. I don't know anybody who is looking for this movie. And so I'm kind of like, I can't even give it a B minus for that reason. I can't recommend it to really anyone unless they're curious or, you know, unless they want an education about a world event that uh, isn't really taught much. Um, that isn't something that, you know, I I sort of remember this massacre in the news um, in 2011. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, it was a while back for me. I was in college and I, you know, I was pretty plugged into world news, but I don't remember like really finding out the details of this and what went down because it is horrific. Uh, that said, that's July, that's 22 July, uh, really tough movie and might be worth it for some folks, but I have a hard time identifying who they are. C plus for me. Uh, but okay, what's the next Netflix? <laughs> yeah, well, here's a nice little positive change of pace for you, Jonathan. Um, I can talk about either. I'll let you pick. We can discuss American Vandal season two or Big Mouth season oh, two. Double seasons. Huh? Double season twos. I'm more curious. I never liked Big Mouth. <gasps> I, I I just I watched a few episodes and it didn't make me laugh. As much as I love John Mulaney and Nick Kroll and that whole deal, it's not for me. But yeah. American Vandal is something that I've been wanting to give a chance so let's try that all right big mouth it is um (laughs) i will start with big mouth because i think i have less to say on it uh you know big mouth's an interesting dynamic of a show because i love nick kroll i think john mulaney is hilarious the entire cast is is truly great you know but nick kroll's weird voices really carry this show and there are episodes where i'm laughing hysterically and i think it's really funny and then there are episodes where i'm like what you know what I mean? And it's weird because this is a show about 
kids going through puberty and dealing with that, right? So like sometimes I get mad because I'm like, wow, that's such a childish joke. But then I go, oh wait, like yeah, like that's the point. You know what I mean? So there's there's some back and forth with me on this. Season two, I I do think is better than season one was. Um, it's funnier. It's a little bit more consistently funny. You know what I mean? So it's not as much of a high low between episode to episode on like whether or not it's good. And it's starting to deal with things that are a little bit more real than the first one was because the first one was all pretty much you know sex jokes and puberty haha here we go um and towards the end of the season we have some of the stuff um with um one of the kids moms i should really remember character names but this season really brings in a lot more of what goes through especially a young girl in in her you know puberty experience and what's going on with that and it introduces new kind of you know there's the hormone monsters and it introduces new characters and that kind of weird universe of what the hormone monsters live that i think are important um and deals with a lot of that so i I do think that there is some merit to season two and i think it's worth watching if you got any enjoyment out of season one but if you hated season one i don't think you're gonna you know i mean it's not a show for everybody and i get Mm -hmm. that i personally like it and i and i think it i think it's pretty good speaking Um, of season twos of netflix shows uh iron fist got canceled uh, we forgot about that in off topics. Yeah, I only watched that? one episode of season two, and I was really bored, and yeah. so I'm not surprised. And I hate it, be- or I'm upset about it because I did like season one. Now I have to defend myself because when I say that, everyone's like, "Wow, you think that's good? You're stupid. That's the worst one." And I don't think it was the I best said that one. In confidence. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Iron Fist was the best. Like you know, I'm not saying it was fantastically made. For some reason, it just connected with me more, and I liked watching it. Maybe it's just because I'm in love with Jessica Henwick, but we don't have to talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, Will Ashton hates Daredevil, by the way. Did you know that? We don't have to talk about that either. I called him blind when he said that. That's funny. I like that. I said literally, "You're the blind one." Wow. And he didn't respond. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a good response. Uh, <laughs> but, that's what and, I usually do when you say things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. I think it was kind of bound to happen. I wonder how they're going to continue his character within like the Luke Cage universe and stuff like that, especially now after Defenders where they're all kind of buddies. So we'll see what goes on with that. Yeah, he's just going to be in the background, you know, just go from show to show. I mean, (laughs) he's just fine. So why give him a show? Nobody's watching. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. But yeah, let's talk about I hope Jessica Henwick's okay. (laughs) Watch Jessica. I hope Jessica Henwick's okay. She'll she'll find work. Okay. Okay. What's the next one? Oh yeah, American Vandal. American season Vandal two. season two, John. I'm, Which I'm, I saw some. I saw you watching it, and I was highly fascinated. Yeah, so I'm gonna break your heart a little bit. Um, American Vandal season one was hilarious. It was original. It was kind of like not what people were expecting when they first sat down to watch it. I really enjoyed season one. I think it was kind of the perfect iteration of what that show can be. The unfortunate thing is that I think season two suffered from the fact that it was a Netflix show in that the ending was kind of given away because sometimes you knew you had four more episodes before the show was ended. And I think this mm. show, because what makes season one so cool, and I, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. So if you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. The what makes season one so great is that there's so many twists about who this vandal is, right? Like you know, on the seventh episode out of 12, you're like, oh, this is the person. And then every episode after that, it's like, oh, no, it couldn't have been this. It's this or this. You know, there's like a lot of like sneaky little plot twists and little like, oh, it couldn't have been this because, you know, it's crazy. And I think that really worked the first time where it's like, whoa, what? who is it? What's going on? You know, and also this is hilarious. And I think the second season actually suffered from that a little bit because I knew it was going to happen. The mm. first time I watched the season, Oh, so the formula was a little bit too predictable. The, the formula ruined it. And also, like I said, the fact that it was a Netflix show ruined it because there were times where I was like, oh, wow, this this is it. And then this episode ended. It was like, would you go to the next one? And I was like, what? And then I looked and there was three, four more episodes left. And I'm like, well, yeah, now I know it's not this person that you just tried to convince me it was. And I think that really hurt the show. You know, this might be one of those shows that would benefit from a weekly release or, you know, whatever, kind of a, a little bit more suspense in between episodes, because if you're going to binge this, you're going to never believe that what you're seeing is it until the last episode ever that's every mystery movie or show ever the red herrings always are like halfway through i don't know it's just not halfway through because i mean this show does that but i'm saying like i don't know i maybe i'm just not explaining it well but i think i just it doesn't like the mystery in wind river because it's like it feels more inevitable than it does feel like 
But it's never like exhausting. You're never like, you okay, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think maybe that's more what I'm complaining about. Maybe American about. Vandal would make a better film than it would a TV show. Honestly, maybe. It's a lot of hours of content. Yeah. But a lot of it they could cut out, you know, like the they they do a lot of this stuff just for the, the sake. Like in this season, it's all about the turd burglar who poisons uh, the, the kids like drinking water at school or like one of their lunch drinks and everyone like poops their pants at school and they call it the brownout. Like that's the big prank that they're investigating. And like it. I lost my train of thought because I had to say poop too many times. <laughs> I'm trying to collect my thoughts as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a lot. What but, is this show? But anyway, I would just say that I, I think that, you know, the formula just gets a little too exhausting at times and I wasn't nearly as invested as I should have been at the end. And I think if they're going to continue to do this, that they need to find a different way to kind of keep everybody you know, invested and like actually curious about what's going on. Because if a season three comes out, it's going to be like, okay, like I, I know, like, what am I doing? You know what I mean, it's, <laughs> it's going to get tiring. So still funny, you know, still has some of that great humor, still has this great, like satirical, how to make a murder revive, which I, I think is part of the appeal. But yeah, I think it's worth checking out if you like the first season. Cool. Yeah. I mean, one of these days I'm going to sit down and watch the whole thing and probably not. Who knows? Maybe I'll become the biggest fan. Uh, last we have Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, I've been playing this game last couple of weeks really solid i i I, again i don't usually talk about games unless i have something to say really um which isn't very often uh but i did want to bring this up because i know a lot of people are like assassin's creed that like that time they made 12 games and they were all exactly the same yeah and yeah that was true uh but assassin's creed odyssey is totally different it's like it's like an rpg it takes place in like the uh during the uh, peloponnesian war between athens and sparta and it's like an open world massive map game i'm loving it it follows the story of like a mercenary who's like a spartan so if you like the movies 300 you know if you like both of the films that in resident empire uh it's tackling that era it's tackling like uh really like a part of the greek wars that you know i was literally watching videos on youtube of like explain to me the Athens and Sparta war and like why they were at war because I was having trouble. Like I wanted to pour into this historically. And I was like, man, this is, it's been a long time since an Assassin's Creed game made me care about history. Yeah. Cause that was like the point. Yeah. Wasn't game. that the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. But then over time it just sort of like, it became so choked up on its own Lord mythology that I, you know, like I think around the time when they were in like the American revolution, I was like, this has become less about history and way more about just, political intrigue between characters that aren't mm-hmm. isn't as interesting and then over time they put in entries that are really solid like uh you know black flag was the last assassin's creed game that i really enjoyed that was four years ago yeah uh this <clears throat> one you know also you can you know like that's the one with the pirates and the ships and all that this one has all of that as well and it's uh it's probably the best it's been in a while um but this is really solid if you want to like get sucked into the greek world uh and it's like you want to just see an entire massive uh game that you feel like i haven't felt this lost in a huge map since like probably uh breath of the wild oh wow zelda film uh the zelda game uh it's up there with breath of the wild and skyrim in terms of like open worlds that really feel like packed and like you have a ton of stuff you can do and a lot of options so yeah i definitely recommend it it's really cool and if you play the game definitely play as cassandra you have a choice between her or uh her brother alexios and she is hilarious uh, and she's a, she's very solid she's like a just this like really burly greek wisecracking you know mercenary who's just really strong and uh her delivery in certain lines is it's pretty funny so good game uh from a cinematic lens i haven't finished it so i don't know how the story ultimately plays out uh that might be one of the weaker things about it because the story is a lot of like you get my father and like you know all this stuff and i'm like oh man like your father your brother your mother like everybody in your family is like the most important person in the greek world okay um that so that part of it's kind of kind of grating on me a little but uh definitely worth playing um 
I don't know, Maverick. You, you, you play Assassin's Creed games. Like, where are you at with those? I really liked the first one. I never played a lot of the ones after that because I saw the same game get released. This is like watching a Call of Duty release. I was like, I know it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really know. So, uh, last year when I went through kind of a big video game thing, when I was playing like all the Bioshock games and stuff, yeah. I think I started playing Black Flag as well. Black Flag as well. Yeah. And I think I stopped after a couple weeks. It was just, I don't know. I, I think the games now just don't do much for me. Um, well, this game, like, you don't even really do, like, a lot of assassinations. Like, they've, like, you don't do, like, you don't have, like, the hidden blades or anything. Yeah. Uh, Assassin's Creed? How dare they? Yeah. I mean, you can still assassinate people, but, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you might get a kick out of this one. It's a totally different gameplay style. It's I'm, I'm, like I'm saving games. all of my video game energy for whenever The Last of Us 2 inevitably comes out. Oh, yeah. Out. Well, there's Red Dead Redemption, which comes out on the 26th. Uh, I'm trying to finish Assassin's Creed before then. Did you I finish Spider-Man before this one? Like, I feel I like did, you've got yeah. a lot of... It's it's a packed fall. And I, Assassin's Creed, I took a week off of work for part of my vacation. Uh, and I'm going to spend a lot of it playing this game so I can get done before Red Dead Redemption. So that's where I'm at. Cool. Uh, internet. Okay, that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Uh, real quick, we'll, we'll get into what movies are coming out next week i'm gonna be out of town so i don't even know if i'm for sure if i'm gonna be on next week's episode hopefully i will be because we are gonna be talking about halloween uh, halloween is the new film about michael myers and david gordon green uh, there's also the hate you give which uh, will ashton already talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, we'll be able to see that because it's expanding into more theaters uh, that's of course the film based on the angie thomas ya book uh the black lives matter story and then a bunch of indie releases. I do want to. See, the only one that I really want to see uh, is Wildlife hits limited release next week. Also, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Which um, they're seeing maybe Melissa McCarthy might get a uh, an Oscar nomination for performance in that film. And then Mid Nineties, which uh, we've been looking at, um, yeah, possibly being good. Uh, there's also What They Had, which I missed my screening for. Apologize. Um, and and a few other films like The Guilty and On Her Shoulders are finally rolling out. That said. Uh, I think for next week, we're going to be talking about Halloween and The Hate You Give, maybe another double feature. I'm not sure. Uh, it's kind of tough because uh, we also want to talk about bad times at the El Royale. So we might we might keep it pretty tight. Uh, we'll send out a poll for our patrons. Um, if you want to get involved with helping us decide what to review, uh, just become a patron on our Patreon. That's in our show notes and you can check that out. Uh, do you have anything to add? No, you think you were deep in thought. Like, do I want? I was. To see I Halloween? thinking. I was actually thinking about the logistics of next weekend for. Recording. It is going to be tricky. It's going to be a fun one. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll put out, uh, hopefully, as good an episode as ever. But for now, that is it for us at Cinemaholics. Thank you as always for listening. If you want our show to continue, uh, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you love podcasts, and hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. Links to our social stuff is in the show notes. Uh, if you want to see videos, if you want to see like archived things anything that you might have missed on a previous episode check out our youtube it's also cinemaholics uh that's also in the show notes and you can email us anytime cinemaholicspodcast gmail.com but uh for will ashton who uh, had to leave early this week uh from the internet pennsylvania and from the internet california uh, i am johnny Rooney. and from the broadband basement i am maverick see you next time bye